Welcome back to Beneath the Maze. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm your host, B.P. Murray. And as I posted on social media, tonight's episode is nuclear. It all comes together tonight. Special shout out to all who have helped me spread the message thus far. You are what helps keep me going. Thank you so much for your help and support. To all who haven't found me on social media yet, at B underscore P underscore Murray, and the same on Twitter and Truth Social. Hit the bell for notifications so you never miss an episode. All right, let's do this. We left off with the question, why do cities tend to vote left of center and rural areas vote right of center? To find out, we're going 50 feet beneath the maze for episode five, the key to the city. So it is true that the city has a higher population of younger voters, younger people, and different demographics. But what is the fundamental reason why cities vote left of center and rural areas vote right of center? Let's say we have a city and a rural area that have the exact same rules, exact same political structure. Do you think the city and the rural area would vote the exact same way in this scenario? This cannot be the case because if it were true, then you would likely see some major cities in different states across the country vote to the right, but you don't. Yes, the percentages change a little, but you don't see a single major city vote right of center anywhere in the US. Why not? There has to be a fundamental reason why. Something below the surface that is being missed. So let's explore this. What is the significant difference between cities and rural areas? Population density, right? Well, how does population density affect the way people vote? I'm going to answer this question with another question. Stick with me because this is huge. What does a politician say in a perfect world? In a hypothetical perfect society, in utopia, what does a politician say? What message do they run on? If everything is perfect, what are they going to fix? What can they sell you? If there are no problems in society, politicians are seldom needed. Politics is closely related to problems. When problems occur, politicians are needed. How do problems relate to population density? Hmm. Well, in densely populated areas, problems occur more frequently than in rural areas. Could that be the fundamental reason why? 
let's continue to explore that theory. If your phone dropped a call once a year, would you think the problem was significant enough to take it in and get it fixed? Would you think changes were needed with your phone? No, probably not, right? Well, how about if your phone dropped a call once a day? Yeah, that might do it. You'd probably say to yourself, I got to get this thing in. I got to get it replaced or fixed. Well, the problem was the same in both scenarios. But the frequency in which you experienced the problem increased and led you to believe that changes were needed. In rural areas, there might be a murder once a year. In a densely populated area, like a city, there's a murder almost every day. Now, the rate per person might be the same, or even lower in the cities. But the frequency is always higher in the densely populated areas. This is massive. Understanding this reality about frequency of problems is huge. It's so important to understanding how society works. If problems are occurring more frequently in your environment, then you will be more likely to conclude that changes are needed, just like the phone example. Think about the, the city for a minute. Cars broken into, murder, rape, all occur more frequently. We as people are subject to the environment that we are in. And regardless of rate per person, we are still more susceptible to frequency of issues than we are the rate of occurrence per person. Let me give you an example. If there's a murder in your apartment complex, it's going to scare the crap out of you. If someone was murdered next door, you aren't going to look up your city murder rate statistics to determine if you should be concerned about it or not. You don't care about rate of issues. You as a human being are a creature of self-defense. And we are always evaluating our environment for threats. The cities always have a high frequency of problems. Thus, it is more likely that people who live in the city will believe that something is wrong with society and that changes are needed. Now, this is through no fault of politicians yet. If we are just assessing the frequency of problems occurring in the cities, absent policies, then thus far, it is just nature of the beast. Population density and high frequency of problems is nature of the beast. But the policies are different, aren't they? The city is another naturally occurring gear that is exploited by the jester. Another gear that powers the wheel of money and votes. Allow me to explain how. Who is in charge of the vast majority of the cities across the country? Since the jester is in charge, would they be inclined to solve problems in the city or exploit them? Mm-hmm. How? Well, same as everything else, radical change. Since everyone is experiencing problems frequently, 
If corrupt leaders can slowly and systematically create more problems, the desire for changes will increase. More radical changes will sell faster, thus increasing the pace of the jester's rise to power. They push policies that sell, policies that sound good, but in the long run, remove purpose from society in the same way we've discussed in previous episodes. How does this relate to post-college, like I alluded to at the end of episode four? Younger people are in the cities too, aren't they? More susceptible to the jester. I call the big cities college 2.0. Why? Because they slow your growth in a similar way that college does. It's so expensive to live in the city. But yeah, the nightlife is good, I guess. The big cities are not much different from college. Work during the week, party and drink on the weekends. Meet people at the bars, and round and round we go. Take it from someone who lived in the city before. It's rough. Money bleeds. And when money bleeds, you can't even think about the next stage of life. Marriage? Can't afford it. Can't even afford the ring, let alone the wedding. So what that does is send a message swirling around your consciousness. Why even get married? Why have kids? It's just a financial burden, right? And money is tight. So why make that more difficult? Plus, how can I raise a kid here? I don't have space for that. It's all working out for the jester, isn't it? You're under the thumb of the corrupt leader, and you don't even know it. According to a study from the American Community Survey, 25% more young college graduates live in me metropolitan areas today than in the year 2000, which is double the percentage increase in city's total population. What the report doesn't tell you is why this is happening. They have opinions in this report, which sound like an infomercial. They want something exciting, culturally fun, involving a lot of diversity, and their father's suburban lifestyle isn't all that thrilling to them anymore. Really insightful stuff. Thanks. Now I'll offer my opinion, which uses logic, not buttery feel-good quotes for the sheep. The truth lies deeper. It's always rooted in human nature. It's never the fluffy BS you hear from the mainstream media. As I mentioned earlier, a big city is college 2.0. Human nature typically causes us to resist massive change. So put yourself in the shoes of the college graduate. College was fun. You graduated. And if you live in the suburbs or a rural area, post-college, you have to drive 20 to, or 30 minutes to the closest bar, and sometimes there aren't that many people there. It isn't the same as college. It's not as fun. Too many old people. In the big cities, you can find the college simulation 
You can reject change and live college 2.0. So that's what people gravitate towards. You see what happened when the jester exploited college, as we explained in episode 4? It caused a spike in city population. Instead of people graduating high school and getting a job and living somewhere that has a low cost of living where raising a family is easy, they move to the city where problems are frequent. And thus, more people are prone to believe that changes are needed. The walls of the maze are built perfectly to guide people down this path. The jester is always paying attention to the pieces on the board and exploits that which can be exploited. And as the people in the city run in place, the jester continues to promise them that better days lie ahead, says that they can lower the cost of housing, says that they can forgive student loan debt. Utopia is coming if you just get rid of the opposition for us. And the jester will do anything it can to keep the people in the city. Because corrupt leaders know if they leave the city, people will start to have kids get married and realize, like I did, that all of the problems in the city are a result of it. Politicians can't do much about the problems in the city. But corrupt politicians will only make it worse, slowly and systematically, so as not to be noticed. The jester pushes sanctuary cities. Why would they do that? It's just going to make things worse, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. But they'll sell it as compassion and win over their voters. More problems means more issues to run on. The opposition doesn't like sanctuary cities because they're racist. See how that works? Problems are like the lubricant of the gears. Without problems, the gears don't move. And the wheel doesn't spit out power and money for the jester. And for the jester, it is better to approach a problem with a solution that breeds more problems. We need to reduce housing costs. So the jester pushes affordable housing. And investors avoid this like the plague. So what happens? Less housing exists. Less people investing in those areas. Which means demand goes up and the cost for housing also goes up. Then the jester pushes the same message and policy a few years later. Young voters don't know they're being sold bullshit because they haven't lived long enough to know that it's bullshit. So, the new young voters actually think it's going to work. Why is housing so high? It's those damn greedy billionaires, I tell you. They exploit you and jack up the profits. We need to increase taxes on the rich. We'll get them. Vote for us. The jester changes the law again. Now 40% of new developments have to be affordable housing. They do this so they can say they did something. So they can run the message again. Created 500 affordable housing units. 
They can put that on their resume, on the headlines. So people think that the changes are, are working, are happening. But supply of new housing is still under demand for it. Way under the demand for it. Round and round and round we go. We talked about densely populated areas having a higher frequency of problems. Well, the population has been steadily increasing over time. Who does that give the advantage to? The jester. As smaller cities become bigger cities, and as more cities pop up, as the suburbs become more dense, the jester has more problems to exploit. More cities to control. And you just learned another reason why the jester wants the southern border wide open. Bingo. More population. Everything comes together now. You ever wondered why it seems like the jester doesn't care so much when an insane policy of theirs is pushed, like the women competing in men's sports? Time is on their side. More densely populated areas favor the message of radical change. Thus, as areas become more densely populated over time, the message of change gets stronger, and so does the party that peddles messages of radical change. Time is on their side. That is, so long as the opposition doesn't make any sudden movements. So long as the opposition stays still and only acts as a wall to the jester. Why do you think corrupt leaders hated Trump so much? This is the fundamental reason why. He didn't stand still with his messaging and policies like other leaders on the right have done over the last 20 years. So the jester had to destroy him by any means necessary. Trump was not just a wall standing in the way of the jester. Trump actively fought the jester and had messages of change himself. Things like build the wall at the southern border and negotiating better trade deals. Better trade deals give people more purpose in America. The jester doesn't like that. What does the jester fear the most? It's not what you think. It's not losing an election. It's not losing a big swing state race. The jester fears an unpredictable result. The jester fears an unpredictable opponent. An opponent that is energized, motivated. One that challenges the status quo. One that promotes messages of change that sell and actually work. Now that you have identified the problem, you can solve it. The jester pushes radical change, but a good opponent hits you where you think you're safe. The jester thinks the city voters are a lock. If you want to beat the jester, you need the key to the city. You want the key to the city? I'm going to give it to you right now. 
push radical change in the opposite direction. And I'll give you an example. Go out there and start selling the message. We are going to cut federal income taxes in half. <laughs> wait, wait, Murray, you lost me. We can't reduce taxes in half for Americans. Oh, really? We can't? Why not? Well, uh, the national debt. The debt. Uh-huh. Still playing checkers, I see. The jester pushes radical changes that do not work and ultimately hurt the city. As we've discussed, this is the same but opposite. Cutting taxes in half is a radical change that does work and ultimately helps the city. More people will work, less people on drugs, less people homeless, less crime. So what, we, we lie? Is that what you're saying? No. No. We can and should try to cut taxes as low as possible. If we can get taxes cut in half, great. It's not a lie if you want to do it. Whether you can or not is politics. The jester does this all day, every day. And the good leaders in America over the last two decades have been too afraid to move, to step off the line, to try and do something like this. Perhaps it is because they didn't fully understand the game. Perhaps it is because good leaders never ventured beneath the maze to take a good look at the strings that control the system, as we have just done. I highlighted in episode two, if the jester's platform is radical change, then they need more people who think radical changes are needed. So the jester started manipulating people into believing radical changes are needed and proceeded to sell more radical change. Well, guess what? Two can play at that game. We can beat them at their own game. We hijack radical change and drive that ship in the opposite direction. They won't know which way is up. That's how you win. That's how you stop the wheel. You push that policy of cutting taxes in half and similar ones. Picture the scenario of a good leader running against the jester saying, we need to cut federal income taxes in half. What will they do? <laughs> the media machine will have to start defending taxes, <laughs> which is political suicide. This is political chess. This is how you start winning the message game. To all the good leaders out there, stop playing checkers. We cut taxes in half and what happens? More people work. More people have a feeling of purpose. More people working means supply has a better chance of meeting demand, which means prices go down, which means more family, more feeling of purpose, more success, less government dependency, less people lost, less people being deceived by the jester. Turn the wheel in the opposite direction. Hit them where they think they're safe. Well, I don't know, Murray. 
He might lose some voters if you push that message. Really? You think, after all the government spending over the last 10 and 20 years, that people will vote for taxes? No way. Okay, uh, Murray, well, what's to stop the jester from running the same message of change? There is a reason why the jester's message is, we need $15 an hour minimum wage, and not, we need to lower taxes. Taxes reduce your feeling of purpose. The jester never lowers taxes. Ever. They increase taxes. Typically for the so-called rich and businesses. But that's because it's an easier sell. Still, they never lower taxes because then individual growth would excel too much. And you might start to move out of the city have kids, and a strong feeling of purpose. You won't be under their thumb anymore. You won't support messages of change anymore if taxes are lower. This is the arrow of freedom. We shall destroy the jester by hijacking radical change and driving that ship in the opposite direction. Their machine will be working for us, and they will be forced to defend the indefensible. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Worst case scenario, we fail to deliver on a campaign promise because we don't have the votes in Congress necessary to pull it off. That happens all the time. That's politics. Look at the repeal of Obamacare. Best case scenario, we win in a sweeping landslide across the country and cut taxes in half for individuals. It's the perfect plan. It is a message that resonates with people that people will buy into, but it is purpose-driven. Still hesitant? Yeah, Murray, I don't know. The media is going to come up with numbers that say cutting federal income tax in half will cause a financial crisis. They'll throw everything they've got at it. Huh. Okay, well, they, they already do that to anything that opposes them, first of all. Second, they are already negligently spending taxpayer money, like it grows on trees. Third, you will get more people working, which generates more income tax revenue. Enough to offset the losses? No. To do that, you would have to increase tax revenue from a different source. So, now I'll raise the stakes. I'm going to give you the diamond in the rough. This was going to be episode 6, but we're going to do it now because it's too important. The diamond in the rough to use at the head of the arrow of freedom. You want to increase tax revenue but there's never a good way to do it until now. Tax the politicians. Implement a heavy campaign funding tax for all federal races. Then run the message, we're going to cut federal income taxes in half and the politicians are going to pay for the plan. <laughs> Then say, well, it's pretty simple. The government has been negligently spending our money for the last two decades. So 
we the people aren't going to give them our money anymore. Boom. Who will the heavy campaign funding tax hurt the most? The party that raises more money for political campaigns. Who's that? The Jester's campaign. By a landslide. Boom. Then they will be forced to defend the amount of money that is raised by politicians. And when they do, we say, look at all that money. It could be spent on the black community. This, the that. It could be spent on X, Y, Z. Will those taxes be enough to offset the losses? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe when it hits Congress, it ends up being a 40% federal income tax cut. But we run on 50% and try our best to deliver. The arrow is sharp and powerful. And now you know why it will work. Changes are sought by those who experience the need for changes, which are also those who experience more problems. So the jester saw an opportunity, promote messages of radical change in a way that would remove the feeling of purpose from society. The only way to reverse what has been done is to understand the scheme at the fundamental level. We can't let the jester use messages of radical change that simultaneously removes the feeling of purpose from society. In the same blow, it's a double whammy. To counter the jester, we promote messages of change, big change, that help in the short term, but also give society a stronger feeling of purpose in the long run. The key to the city. This is the arrow of freedom. And it is only as strong as you, the listeners, make it. So let's launch this arrow. Let this message fly straight through the heart of corruption. And let's take this country back. A bonus episode will be released this weekend. We got to keep this episode shorter so that it reaches further and hits harder. Release the arrow, my friends. Use hashtag arrow of freedom. Thanks for listening.